You're listening to Humanize Me with Bart Campolo. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Humanize Me. I am Bart Campolo, your host. I am the humanist chaplain at the University of Southern California, and I'm going to get all the business out of the way early. And the business basically boils down to saying, if you like the podcast and you want to support the podcast, you should go to barcampola.org and make a donation. I always forget to say that. Yes, we're going to get a Patreon account and it's going to be all slick and cool and it's going to be on the Facebook page. We're going to make it a lot easier. We're working on all that stuff right now. But in the meantime, it's there, barcampola.org. You just make a donation. And, 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 And if you make a donation, it goes to support the production of the podcast and it also goes to support me as a counselor and a coach. And by that, I mean that a lot of people that are going through stuff who hear this podcast reach out and they want some one-on-one time. They want me to, to Skype with them uh, once a week to work through some issue, to work through some, some kind of uh, transition maybe that they're going through in a relationship or tra- trying to figure out life and what it me- how, how to find meaning and make meaning on the other side of faith. And so I counsel and coach a lot of people and most of them can pay for it, but occasionally somebody really can't. And uh, so we got kind of a kitty here. And when people give money, it enables me to offer pro bono or reduce rate counseling and coaching for people who need it. And that's a very cool thing. So yes, like if you want to be, if you want to support the whole, the whole shindig, you should do that. Um, you know, and I am the humanist chaplain of the University of Southern California, but like, I'm not asking you to support that. Ultimately, if there's going to be a humanist chaplaincy that goes on at Southern California, that's going to be paid for by like-minded Trojans by secular humanists who want to see secular humanism grow and thrive at Southern Cal because that's where they went to school. I I think a lot of the kids that are in the group now, when they get older, they've had transformative experiences as part of the secular student fellowship there. When they get older, they're going to support a humanist chaplaincy there. But in the meantime, I'm not asking you to support that. I'm asking you to support this, the podcast, the the community building messages, the the, the, the positive humanism, the counseling and the coaching. Yeah, so there. That's enough business there. I, you know what? I, and I wanted to go quick on that. If I seem like I'm talking fast, it's because I'm already late. Because Father's Day has already passed. And yet this show is all about father stuff. And the reason is because on Father's Day, my daughter and son-in-law, Tyler and Miranda, they came up. And uh, I should call him my deluxe in-law because that's his kind of nickname uh, in our family. Um, we just call him Deluxe. And if you knew him, you'd understand why. Um, so uh, yeah, so Deluxe and Miranda were up here. And my son Roman came by. He came by actually early. And when he got here, he said like, hey, why don't we just shoot in there and see if we can't make a podcast? And if you've been listening to me for a long time, you know that Roman used to come on the podcast every now and again. And he was, he was he's so much fun to talk to. He's just one of my favorite conversational partners. And, uh, and I hadn't had him on for a while. And I said, yeah, yeah, let's go back there and do that. And so we did. And we ended up talking about fatherhood for a while. And, uh, you know, I, like, I don't know that we solved any of the world's problems, but it was just good to talk to this kind of young person who I just adore. And uh, so, yeah, so this is my conversation with Roman. I hope you dig it. 
I hope it inspires you in some way. There's something good in there. And I'll catch you on the backside. All right. Here we go. All right, so here's the deal. What's the deal? It's Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. Thank I you. should have started with that. It kind of undermines the whole spirit of the thing. It's like, oh, I'm coming to do a podcast with my dad for Father's Day. And he's like, so by the way, it happens to be a day where you're supposed to celebrate me. I'm sorry about that. That I, that I stole my thunder. Preempted you, stole your thunder. But yeah. the reason I'm pointing that out is because although this show is being produced on Father's Day, mm. it probably will not air until after Father's Day. So there will be sort of an echoing of Father's Day. Right. Um, People will have their own memories of... Yeah, have you ever known anybody like... I I, I, knew, I worked with this guy, Larry Slagle, back at... Back I knew Larry. Place. Remember Larry? Yeah. And, and Larry, you know, a closeted gay man at the time. He's he's out now. And didn't he kind of... he In the heart of Christendom. He wasn't a very nice guy at certain points, right? He, we just had a... There were some difficult transitions in that relationship. All I remember about Larry Slagle is that he had the, that Spider-Man soap web shooter thing at his house. You remember that? There was some big party over at Larry Slagle's. I remember. I remember the party. Miranda and I. Yeah, I just he had toys for us, so he was always star yeah, in my. He was book. good for you. Yeah. Anyway, Larry, because he was a single guy in his like mid thirties. And he had kind of an interesting relationship with the world. He, his birthday was a season. He didn't have a birthday celebration. It was like a month long. It was like the, the Christmas season. He, he just a, decided that? He yes, was like, my yes. birthday is going to be a month long? And there would be, yeah, there would be multiple different ways of celebrating. What kind of and friend he, were you that you let him get away with this? I, no, friend I, comes to you, I've decided my birthday no, is going to be a month long. He didn't I decide. Know, it, 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 it was that wants. way before I ever got to him. Um, okay. So that was a prerequisite for entering a friendship with him is that you're going to have to celebrate me <laughs> for a month. That was kind of the thing <laughs> is year. that he, he was like, wow. I want to be celebrated. Did he have a philosophy behind it? Like why, why did he think it was okay for him he to get a month? It felt like it was not something, it was, it was a very special experience for him. He took it very seriously and he didn't want it to pass the same way. Like I try to make Christmas last a little bit longer on Christmas by having people. Those two things are not comparable. Okay. They're not. No. But. Um, yeah. So anyway, I was thinking of Father's Day, which I, I it's funny because, oh, you, this is all for you to say you'd like it to last a month. I'd like it to last at least a couple of weeks so that this, so that as this podcast airs, people go like, I mean, it would probably be better if it had aired a week prior to Father's Day. Right. As a prep. Um, yeah. It would have been, would yeah. have been a good call, but I think there's something cool about doing it on the day. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's interesting because I got a text from another friend. Actually, somebody who's been on this podcast, Ashley Bradford, mm. who we did the lobster podcast a couple of years ago. Um, consider the lobster. Remember when you bought the lobster and that, uh, tried to keep it alive? David and then, Foster Wallace. Yes, yes, okay. exactly. He, and he had read that story. So then he went to a seafood place and bought a lobster. Gotcha. And was going to eat it, but then couldn't and took drove it all the way down to San Diego where he thought it had a chance to live because mm. there's a lobster colony down there. You don't remember this. I, 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 it sounds vaguely familiar. It was an interesting podcast. Anyway, Ashley sent me a note today that said, hey, I, I hope you're really enjoying Father's Day. And I, I get these a lot yeah. from people on Father's Day, from people that I've had kind of a, 
you know, a, a mentorly kind of relationship with. They're like, they're, sometimes they'll remember me on this day. Mm. And I said to him, I said, yeah, I said, this is the one day of the year in which my unquenchable paternalism is celebrated instead of merely tolerated. <laughs> my unquenchable paternalism. Yeah. Because I would think there's a lot of people thinking of you today. Right. Because I, yeah, I, I kind of like, whether people want me to or not. Right. I mean, it's funny. I was having. Um, you stepped up. At- yeah. I had coffee with one of your former colleagues. Um, Scott the other day and he had just his girlfriend had just gone back to Europe and mm. so I'm you know I'm sort of asking these questions and I, I'm sort of get, getting this impression like he's like yeah I thought of that no I've thought of that and I realized like he's, he's, he's like, taking your stuff with him yeah hey don't I, don't father me yeah like, yeah I father other people no yeah we were, we were talking about you the other day a little bit and and he said he it wasn't something he'd fully thought out because I, I I just mentioned my experience. Um, you know, when I'm with you, I I have the instinct to like talk about myself, whether directly or indirectly, sort of updating you on like here's how I'm doing. But like, th- I I feel quickly um, judged in some way, sometimes really positively, and that's what I'm going for. Right. So I'm not just anti-judgment all the way. Like I enjoy when I can see on your face that like, well, I approve of that decision. You know, that feels really good. Um, but yeah, you know, then then sometimes you get I, I get a facial expression that makes me feel like, ah, you know, he thinks he now thinks I'm living this kind of life. And I don't. And I was just describing that to Scott. And he was like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm always a little more hesitant to talk about myself with your dad than I'm than I am with you. Just because, you know, there, there's moment to moment, there's more judgments in a conversation with you in a really fatherly way. Whereas like with Scott and I, our conversations, it's like we're both giving each other permission to just explore. So like, yeah, you know, he'll let me spend a half hour advocating for some, you know, ridiculous new philosophy I've read about fat people and you know, where I sound like a total jerk, but he just knows that's a probe. That's just you trying to like, that's, this is you learning by talking. I can't do that. You can't do that. Yeah. If I'm doing, you look at me and you have to like, let me know. And you know, I mean, that's, that's not wrong. I guess fatherly, right? It's yeah. I mean, I I mean, it's funny because on a, on a father's day situation, when people start thinking about it, like, what is it that makes somebody fatherly? You know, like we know what makes somebody a father. Right. But what makes somebody fatherly? What are the qualities? And and because my, in my experience, oh gosh, I hate that phrase. I can't believe I used it. In my experience? Yeah, I mean, I use it a lot more these days. Do you, you not know, like it because it's applicable to any experience you could ever I, reference? I, it well, just, I guess it sounds not. it sounds know it ally in my experience, you know. But right. um, but I feel like there are a lot of people in the world that didn't have good relationships with their fathers Mm. and that if they can sort of be reparented or if they can get into a relationship with somebody who's older concerned willing to weigh in you know Mm. um but nurturing like like sort of always sort of beginning and ending the conversation with like you're you're terrific i like I have real confidence in who you're becoming. Sandwiching the criticism and approval. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you have to. You have to sort of let the person know, like, I'm telling you this not because I think you've got a huge problem, but because 
there's just in your perfect you know picture there's this one little thing that's that's skewed a little bit to the left and like we if we fix that you're you're perfect yeah i mean and, and you know but you want to sort of send this message that says the reason i'm i'm interested in pushing you is because i think you're so wonderful or i think you're so potentially are you describing the ideal trait fatherliness or sort of the archetypal father because that to me i imagine is historically a much more kind of like stern but like quietly loving you know like it's not at least in our culture it's the idea of the father as like this bombastic you know motivational speaker is not widespread but maybe in your the new world you're creating it's with just your the way I've followers, been, it's the way I am. <laughs> right, right. But you know, so th- yeah, it's a well, style. And, and, and you know, that's the thing. Like fatherly, is there one way to be fatherly? I don't think there is. I think there's a lot of different kinds of good fatherly people, and I think usually our fathering style or our parenting style flows out of who we naturally are. Yeah. Um, you know, and I try to think like, well, is there a real huge difference between the way that I relate to my own kids and the way I relate to the students that I've worked with at USC or the way that I relate to a young adult that I might encounter in the world. And I don't know that there is. You don't know that there's a difference? I don't know. I don't, I mean, obviously I'm more emotionally invested in you. Right. But I feel like when I sit down across the table from most young people, I'm sort of like, tell me what's going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I'm gonna, and then, and then I'm gonna be like, oh, I know somebody you could call, or have you thought about this, or oh, I read this book, you should think of, like, it's just this kind of thing of saying, I'm a little farther up the road, I might have some perspective, mm-hmm. but I, I know that there are other ways of being a good father. Well, yeah, I, I think there might there'd be more of a difference if I was spiraling into addiction and you know paralyzed by depression, like there's. There's certain people who, you know, your outside clients that maybe there's a certain point where you'd be like, all right, I can't, I can't follow you there maybe, but with your own kids, you'd follow. You, you keep know, going. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, or, or once you invest is, does that line not really exist? Well, like it kind of does because one of the things that when you, and I don't know how this would work as a father, I know how it works as a pastoral or a fatherly person. And that mm. is. But sometimes you build a relationship with somebody precisely so that you can put it on the line. Right. Precisely so that if they start to go down a path, you go like, hey, if you go down that path, I can't go with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that that becomes a cost of that path. You know, that, you know, it's funny because when I was a youth worker, it's like I would, you, the bargaining chip is the. You, bond. Build, you build a relationship, and part of the reason you build it is so that you can leverage it. Leverage it. Yeah. I mean, I, I would get, you know, people, I would take kids bowling. I would take kids to the movies. You know, I would listen to them. We would do all these fun things together. And you're like, why? And you're like, well, because then when they were going to sell drugs, I was going to sit and go like, hey, you do realize like, this isn't okay with me. Yeah, yeah. And that was a, a way of creating, almost embodying the social cost of doing the wrong thing. Mm. That there's a kind of, thing you get cut off from there's a kind of 
And it wasn't just me. It's like, you're not going to have us like this kind of life that I represent these kind of warm feelings that the community that I'm a part of represent. Yeah. You won't have these if you go that way. Mm. And I think that sometimes I, I could imagine even doing that as a father, I could imagine sort of saying to my kid, not that I'm not going to be interested in you and stuff, but like, it's not going to be as nice Thanksgiving's not going to be as much fun if you're in that space right? because nobody's going to be that comfortable with you. So I would say that the, what, what fatherliness is in my mind, sort of, uh, providing a stable model of reality for that. Someone can then like build themselves in relation to, and that can, you know, that can be a religious model of reality that can, but you know, I mean, you have a very, like you do, you offer stability, not just in the form of like, I'll be your friend, but like, here's how we're going to view the world. Here's how we're going to measure good versus bad. Here's how we're going to measure progress. And we're going to sort of play this meaning game together that yeah. obviously isn't real, and my, but it's and, as real as matters. And, and what's funny is like, and my perspective in this conversation will be static. Right. Like you can count, like, like, you know, I, I was, I was talking with, uh, Leanna and Renat, you know, this couple that I've known since they were in their twenties and they have a, they're raising their own kids now. Yeah. And, uh, and Renat said, or yeah, they said, we had this situation and we, and we were sort of like, I wish I could talk to Bart about that. And then she was like, and then we were like, well, you know what Bart would say? Mm. He would say this and this and this. And they were like, so in a way we did talk to you. Right, because right, like right. you're so consistent on these few issues, yeah, that we don't even need you around anymore to know what you would say. Yeah, you the, represent something. Yeah, yeah. The consistency that that's probably one of the the huge. You know, everybody says when they have having a kid totally changes them because it's not about you anymore. You think like what that really means in a lot of ways is like you know, you can float in sort of a oh, a, a relativistic worldview for a long time and you know just play with different perspectives of how to see things to justify whatever you want in that moment and the feeling of oh it's not about me anymore it, it, it's kind of like oh okay i have to stabilize like i have to have some I ideology to pass down yeah i, guess I that can't is. just say to my kid i don't know maybe this maybe that maybe like you know parents normally whether they're and bad was, answers or good answers, they give answers. They try. And that was where being an evangelical Christian, I think I was a father when I was 16 years old. In yeah, the sense yeah, yeah. of, they started me off relating to other people and sort of saying like, you need to be consistent. Yeah, I mean, the whole religion is built on the father complex. Right. That's the whole and thing. And you need, to, right, exactly. And and so God is, the, God is same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Right. And you need to represent God in a consistent way. Your witness needs to be... Um, reliable yeah and so i was that people need that i don't i the more i I don't know how anybody how do you build because like i I, you know i i fell out of religion partly just on my own i had the internet you weren't like pushing it on me and you you know we had conversations that opened my mind but like during the years where i had to be building my self-model in relation to some relatively stable reality there there was this there was this myth to live inside and it was simple there was you know the embodiment of evil in the devil that's all the way that way and then it, it, on the 
other end of the spectrum, the Christ symbol, the ultimate goodness. And that's about compassion and giving and loving and, and, uh, you know, not being greedy and all that good. Like, so the spectrum was there and it, and it, it had grounding in what was being presented to me as reality. This is actually how this thing is built. So I could build a me in relation to it. That me ended up being, you know, a thinking guy. And I thought my way out of it. It, how do you how do you do that with a you know a, a kid that that has no no ideology? Well, it's, it's funny that you should say that because I don't perceive you as having grown up ever embracing that worldview. No, but it all came from that worldview. Like whether I, you know I, I I didn't think so for a while. I thought like I I am I, I'm not. I, I think I've diverged from your thinking a little bit in the sense that. I'm no longer as confident that uh, compassion and um, altruism, like that these things naturally flow out of a, a, a rational view of the world. You know, and you're so, but hey, do you want to be happy? Well, look at the things that make you happy. Being compassionate makes you happy. Being like, but a lot of things make different people happy. Like I think I, I was still benefiting from the groundwork of being surrounded by people who were closely tied into the Judeo-Christian philosophy. There was the, the sense of good and evil. That's absolutely where it came from. Here's the thing. I wonder if, I don't ever perceive that you were buying into the belief system, but you were surrounded by a bunch of people who had a kind of Star Wars view of the universe, that there was good and there was evil. Yeah. There was a right way to do things and a wrong way to do things. And, um, loving relationships and serving the poor were at the, you know, at the center of that. And what's interesting to, to, to me is that so many people, when I think about people going like, well, you're fatherly in my life because you're consistent because mm. you always are in the same place. And I go like, I don't know anybody who's changed their mind or they're more than me mm. over the course of the last 10 years. None of your changes have carried over into what you ought to do. That is what I, I know. It's I mean, always it's, the is. It's Why? all, yeah. it's all like, it's like you changed out all the pilings underneath the pier. Your symbol structure is, is just rearranging into the same shape. Yeah. But the outcome, like your the factory, it still just pumps out exactly the same thing. Right. Um, you know, and, and, and somebody was, I was asked, I was interviewed the other day. Somebody was asking about chaplaincy. And I was saying, like, if you came to my youth group yeah. 20 years ago and you walked into my secular student fellowship now, yeah. you would not be able to tell the difference. Right. It's a bunch of nice people hugging each other, saying, like, hey, how, how can we help that person? Yeah. And, and what did you read something that's going to help you? I said, the only difference is, is that the text that they're reading for guidance mm -hmm. used to be just like this one book, and now it's every book. Right. And it's just, I, I don't know if you you... Do you consider the foundation for your current belief system to be science? Because I don't think science can be the foundation for any ideology. I think that it's, you know, people say, like, what do you believe? And I'm always thinking what's what defines a community and what defines a person is not so much what they believe as what they value. Right. And, and a value is just nothing more than a preference. And so if you say, like, what do you prefer? Oh. I prefer loving relationships. Right. And then, you know, the question is, can I go back and find science to support the idea that that's a good choice? 
absolutely I can. But the question is like, was I sitting around trying to decide whether to torture kittens or whether to create community for poor people? Right. And I read some books and thought like, oh, it turns out that the torturing kitten things isn't a good move. But if it had been, I would have done it. Right. And the answer is no, my preferences were wired in way ahead of that rational process. Mm. They were wired in by the people that I was around. You know, I, I was raised in an environment in which that stuff was valued and so were you. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, so I, yeah, I've changed the pilings. I've changed the foundation. I've changed the, the kind of the explanation of the where's and why's. And I feel a lot more, honestly, when the chips are down, it's a lot easier to, 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 to run back to the narrative I have now than it is to run back to the narrative I used to have. But yeah, it's, it's, yeah, I, it's, I it's been pretty, maybe it's, maybe it's been pretty consistent. Maybe it's cause I'm not a father yet. Uh, Thank goodness. I, I don't, I don't know if I'll stabilize in, I mean, I, I, I have a pretty stable sense of, I have a pretty stable set of values. Um, I think they're stable enough that I don't spend much time thinking about them. I don't think that much. Well, what do I really value? I'm more just fascinated by the variety of value systems that exist and sort of the the history of what we are and the indifference of nature and you know and, right but it will change when there's this little person and you have to create a stable world for them to build a self in relation to yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and uh, well i mean what i i would i would even go so far as to say like what characterizes artistic like like art artistic people is sort of less of a need or desire or uh to have a stable worldview and in turn a stable sense of self that sort of like the you can only really like be reinventing yourself in the way that's necessary to like stay interesting as an artist or or, or be and of course the classic portrayal of artists like i think about all the tv shows where the college student her father's an artist or where somebody's they're being you know yeah Artists are always portrayed as lousy parents, right? Re- really interesting people, but totally unreliable, unstable, unstable people yeah. that you can't count on to be there for you. And that's at the core of, I think a lot of the times we've butted heads a little bit on the value of art. Um, because I, I, you know, I'll take something really extreme and I just, I just appreciate that it's extreme and that it's different regardless of in what direction it's extreme. I just like intensity for its own sake or like that. And, uh, I don't, yeah, maybe that's just sort yeah, of, I, maybe it's wiring. Cause I don't aspire right now. I don't aspire to stabilize. In fact, I almost the other direction, but I, I realized that like my proximity to Judeo Christian values, it almost like, I don't have to think about it. It's in there enough that I can, I can just kind of run wild without, going down the drain and i i feel ultimately i owe it to christianity that's so interesting because i just didn't i never perceived you really buying into christianity i perceived you buying into the values of relationships and the values of kindness but i never perceived you as ever like identifying with christianity no i never did but where were those values coming from yeah no i mean that's really true um it's funny because i was just listening to this this podcast uh uh, um, hidden brain 
um, and they were doing this thing about that test, implicit bias test yeah. that millions and millions of people have taken. The race that, one? Yeah. That, mm. that proves that even like whether you're white or black, like most people have a preference for people that look like them. Of course. No, no, no. Not a preference for people who look like them. Really? Most people have an implicit bias against black people, including black people. Oh, okay. I, yeah, I take back my, of course. Yeah, no, absolutely. You're wrong. And, 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 <laughs> and, and that's why like black cop, if you're a young black man, you're just as likely to get shot unfairly by a black cop as you are by a white cop. Cause the black cop also has an implicit bias against black young men. Right. But that, that's a result of the social inequality that initially what? began because people prefer people that look like their own group. No, no, that's... Really? You think there's something just built in about black people oh, that makes sense? Every... Yeah, if you want to talk about where it all comes from way back in the day, uh, you know, where where racism emerges. I want to talk about wherever my initial point holds weight. Yeah, okay, you do that. Right. Uh, the point that I was trying to make was that they they mapped out where the greatest number of police shootings, bad police shootings were. Mm-hmm. And then they mapped out where, off this test, millions and millions of people, where implicit bias was the highest. And of course, they were the same places. And so what they were saying is like, they weren't testing police officers in those places. Mm -hmm. They were just testing human beings. But they were saying that a whole community, a whole society develops an implicit bias. Right. And it imprints itself on everybody. It's the thumbprint of your culture on you. And then it's a feedback loop. And it's a feedback loop. And so... I think it's the same way with this Judeo-Christian thing. It's like, it's not a matter of whether you were born in a Judeo-Christian home or like you were around it. And so it was the, it was kind of the implicit culture around you. Right, right, right. And it, and it, and it influences in. Here's the thing, like, do you want to have, do you want to be a father? Do you want to be, do you want to be a parent? Or is that not something that's like high on your list? Um, I, I think I've changed enough in the past few years to be able to look at who I am currently and be like, yeah, I don't want this guy to be a dad, but I, I am anticipating many more changes. And I, I very much hope that one of them is into a guy that, that is excited and ready for fatherhood. That's interesting. Yeah. You're like, look at yourself right now. And you're going like, that guy's not stable enough. Yeah. But I also know that if I found out I was having a kid, I would immediately change. Not necessarily, I, I couldn't just will myself into the ideal father, but that certain things, like everything about my daily routine would have to change. So I'd be, I'd be just kind of thrown into a, a different headspace. Yeah. Right? I mean, I, how yeah, what, no. what was it like? I mean, I mean, I, I can barely remember, but the thing is, again, like I was a I fatherly was a, guy, I was at 16, a fatherly yeah. guy at 16. And so. You know, and everybody was always like, oh, you'll be a good father. And I, I, I don't think I was a particularly good father when, the, when my kids were little because I knew how to be a good father when they were teenagers. Right, but right, That right. was my sweet spot. Yeah. You know, I knew what to do um, once people were in those situations because I had spent a lot of time around. That's true. Yeah. Once the girl questions came, it's a lot, you were much more fluent in yeah. that line. Like video games, you know, because you hadn't had a lot of young people with video game, you know. And you know, one of the pieces of advice that I give to young parents, like, cause a lot of times people are like, I want my kids to be able to talk to me. I yeah. want my kids to be open with me. And I'm always like, 
I, I'm always suggesting, then you've got to be working when your kid's two years old, mm. you should be volunteering at some youth camp. You should be working with college students. You should be doing something because you don't want, like you don't want the last time you had a meaningful conversation with a teenager yeah. to it's have so been funny. when you were a teenager. You, you know, right, right, like, right. You know, you, you, because that, that that gap is too long, and you won't have any chops. Like the important thing is not just can you talk to your kid, but can you talk to your kid's friends? But that's new. Like I feel like for most of our you know pre-industrialized civilization, uh, you you know it the parenting skills were kind of built in. You kind of knew what to do. Like now, we're, well, because it, it was a static. There was a static. Uh, the more static culture is, or the slower it's changing, the more like. What you need to grow into, what it's you need so to learn, complex now. is There's what. I, it, but it is the same stuff. I, I I'm exactly an, the I'm same. I'm an expert in what Surviving, you want to be. If you want, look, like, yeah, the fact that I'm old and that that I'm older than yes. you, all the authority, I survived. Yes, you know? and I can show you how to live in this in this situation. Whereas, right. and my authority the, is is intrinsic, it's built in. Yes. Look at me, I've I've been here. But by the time you were growing up the world you were growing up into was sufficiently different than the world that I was growing up into yeah. that you didn't necessarily look at me and go, that guy knows how to make it in this world. Yeah. 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 Um, and so in that kind of a changing thing and changing a quickly changing culture, if you want to be relevant to your teenager, mm-hmm. you've got to, you've got to keep adjusting down. You got to keep like, I know how to talk to a 16 year old cause I'm 20. I wonder when slang to, right. entered the picture. Like I wonder if, if in, you know, 1100 England, you know, not that that's prehistoric, but like in the medieval ages where the teen, did the teenagers have a lingo or was it very much like you better assimilate and be a man now? Like, or this is the way we all talk and you better learn to talk this way. Well, that's what yeah. I'm saying. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And so I don't know, but I do know that it changes fast enough now that again, like when I'm 20, I can still talk to a 16 year old. Yeah. But when I'm 25, I better talk to another 16-year-old because I can't rely on the 16-year-old conversation I had when I was 20 because yeah. it's changed up. And so if you don't keep relating... And, and the thing is, like, it's not like I'm all Johnny Hip. Right. I don't use that language. Well, what you always said is that authenticity is always hip. But, like, and you, but I th- it, it is an art. It's an art knowing what parts of that language you can implement for dramatic effect in a moment, but like demonstrate, Oh, I understand your yes. world and when to do it ironically to know like, Hey, I know I'm not hip, but you know, that's, that's kind and of when even to ask the right question to go like, okay, listen that I have never heard that before. Right. And, 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 and they're like, Oh, he wants to, you know, he's still in the game, yeah. but like you, you can't just show up and be like, uh, I'm starting from zero. Yeah. I think slang as probably there's more and more slang the more young people sense that they're living in a fundamentally different world than that of their parents, that it requires a different language to, to describe not just like the things, but sort of the value of those things. Like if you're much more, you know, if you're in a much more sexually promiscuous culture than your parents were, you're, you're to reflect that it only makes sense for your words to describe sex, to be a little more vulgar because it doesn't matter as much. You know, and, and it, it's the value system has to be put oh, in the yeah. language. And like when I, when I had Lisa Wade, who was on the podcast a while ago, who wrote the American hookup book. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I found was, is that, is that a lot of older people wrote to me and said, that was scary to me. Like listening to her talk about the mores and stuff like, uh, Will you reiterate some of that to me? Uh, no, no. I mean like the American hookup stuff. 
Yeah, just like what her list of kind of new phenomenon. Oh, she was just talking about like the idea of at a party, people going like the girls going on the dance floor and guys coming up behind the girls and grinding on them. And the girl doesn't even necessarily know who's grinding on them until oh, yeah. she turns around and, you know, or she looks at her friend and her friend's like, yeah, that's a good guy. Like, right, right. This is know. profoundly unremarkable to me. Right. All of that. Right. Okay. But, and, and, and I wouldn't say unremarkable to me, but like, she, you know, she and not I were shocking, not shocking. Right, right. But so many people wrote to me and said like, that's shocking to me. And that, wow, that scares me. And that's upsetting to me. But one of the things that I realized is, is that I'm not in that. But I understand it well enough that when I sit down across from a kid and, and, and I, I no longer say, so are you dating anybody? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, are you seeing anyone? Do you have a steady girlfriend? Like, that's not the place where I start. I'm sort of like, so what's going on with you in the kind of whole romantic, you know, like what's what's going on with you and the rest? Whoever you're hooking up with. Whoever you're hooking up with. Yeah. What's, what's happening there? How's that feeling to you? What, you know, how are you navigating sexuality at this point at this moment in your life yeah because it because if i just come to them with my old category right right so that uh, another sort of trait of a i guess the ideal father is a capacity to keep up to an extent with the times so you know what you got to know yeah what you don't necessarily have to embrace them and, and and i certainly don't act as though like i know what's going on right but you can ask educated questions you can yeah. go like so like do you use that Tinder? Mm-hmm. Like, what is that like? Like, cause I mean, when you, when you first meet up with someone, you know, and at least I'm asking questions that are not starting from zero. Right. So, so to just to ground this thing again, what we, what we sort of have established so far in terms of our idea of like the ideal father, you know, one, a stable reality model provided, um, but a, a willingness to, you know, stretch a, a, in order to understand a, a, a world yeah. that you're not familiar and with. And what's weird is, is that so, I mean, there are a lot of times where I feel like I'm listening and learning from young people and I've had my mind changed. Yeah. So for instance, maybe about drugs, mm-hmm. psychedelic drugs um, or marijuana, where mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, if I want to be consistent in my value system, yeah, I actually like. I got to get rid of these biases that yeah. are built into me. And, and there are probably even some of those about sexuality in, in terms of some of the things that I've read and, 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 and learned about um, some probably th- definitely things about gender and, and where I'm. So it's not. But in general, what generally happens is, is that I reach down or reach out and try to understand the new way and the new language and stuff. Mm. And I find myself then going like, OK, how do I how do I communicate the same old consistent values? Yeah, yeah. In this language. I mean, my, you know, like I still, I still think that, you know, what the young people that I work with want from me is they still want me to be that rock of consistency right. where they go like, yeah, he, he may change his language and he may learn new bells and whistles about things mm-hmm. and he may be open to, open to changing his mind about socialism. You know, if we talk to him clearly about Bernie Sanders or, you know, but he's still, you kind of know what his, his priorities or his values have not shifted very much. And do you sense sometimes that, you know, your kids or your real kids, you know, like 
that we while, while you would like us to adopt your stable worldview and that's ultimately kind of what you're trying to get at that what ends up happening is we almost outsource it to you sort of like okay you be my my the stable worldview i can sort of come back to when things aren't going well but i'm gonna go out there and kind of do whatever i want until i feel unstable again and then and then come back for my dose of yeah you know i i think that i will not know how well i did right until you have until unless and until you're either raising kids mm. or mentoring young musicians like when you know when because ultimately what your values are i mean yeah. are what are what you communicate right to others. i don't know if anybody listening to this podcast knows but like i i'm in music so i'm constantly surrounded by people whose you know primary goal there's the capitalist side just want you know to rise up in this game and there's also i, I want to be recognized as an innovator i want to be creative i want to do things in a, in a new way so things perspectives are they are much more in the art world like uh evaluated by just th their potency or th their clarity as an idea regardless of what that idea is saying like so you know you if, if you you know they're guys winning grammys for totally nihilistic value systems being embodied in really well-constructed music that's concise and makes sense as oh, a, yeah. a cultural artifact and i yeah and i was listening to a rapper the other day talking about how the kind of stuff he's exploring in his music has nothing to do with the kind of relationships he wants to have in his regular life who was that um it was this guy uh, it, it was it was a guy who hadn't made it in music and gotcha. he'd actually he'd actually been arrested for terroristic threats because somebody misunderstood one of his rap lyrics and he ended up spending five years in jail it's a crazy story um but um, wait a minute wait a minute he wasn't the kid where they the found Nigerian the raps kid. in the yes yes in the dorm in his car and in the dorm oh my that was a ridiculous story yeah and it was all about how rap it was called rap on trial because how if people perceive the same lyrics to be country music they won't judge the person as harshly but if they perceive them to be rap music they will judge them more, much more harshly. But not if they were, if it was a successful rapper, the, you know what I mean? Like it was the fact that he, he's not a successful rapper. And the, so these, it was that, it was the most grossly taken out of context thing I've ever seen. Yeah, no, it's a crazy story. But what, what, but, but, but the thing that his friends and he were saying is, it said it was ironic that they had read all these misogynistic, violent lyrics and they had gone like, oh, clearly this is a misogynistic and violent guy. Right. And he's like, they were rap lyrics. Like if you knew the conventions of the genre, this doesn't mean I'm a misogynist. It doesn't mean that I'm this way. Well, right. And, and what I've, I mean, you know, obviously I, I write songs too. And yeah, it is in hip hop. It's almost like the, the misogyny is, is built into the, uh, the medium it, just because of such a rich history of misogyny that you can go the other direction with it. But to, to pretend it's not there it, you end up just seeming like tone deaf to like you, you have to come in and like almost the way I, this might be a totally bad example, but the way like a, um, a stand up comedian, you got it. You have to acknowledge, you know, what's going on in the room to be funny. Right. And like, you got to be there and like being in hip hop, 
there has to be so you got to talk about your views on women right so so my point being that wow i don't even know what my point was it had to do with the fact that like the fact that somebody what a person communicates yeah in 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 our art isn't necessarily who they are right right but when you become a parent what you communicate that really like that really does tell you who you are this is what I want to communicate to this young person. This is who I, what I, how I want them to see the world. Yeah. That's how you really see the world. So like in some sense, you don't know something until you teach it to someone else. Mm. You don't know what you think about something until you are teaching it to someone else. And so, you know, you're experimenting with lots of different worldviews, lots of different ideas. And that's mm. great. That's what young people are supposed to do in some ways. And yeah, it's nice to have that aircraft carrier called dad or right. mom that's like there that you go like, uh, if I get in trouble, I can fly back there and and, and get reoriented. I feel like I have a stability button. There's like, a, yeah, yeah, there's a ready-made philosophy to fall back on if exploration leads to inner chaos. Yeah, yeah. Um, but ultimately, when you have to be the aircraft carrier. Right. Different game. And you'll know what you really believe then. And I'll know. Or what, I'll decide what I'm going to believe. That's then. what I mean. Not and, so much I'll discover what I believed all along. Maybe that. But you'll decide on the basis of like, what do I think would be most helpful to this kid? What do I think is the most positive or the most healthy worldview? Right. And that'll tell you what you really think is healthy. Yeah, what you, yeah. How you really define good. And, and so what I'm saying is, is that as a father, I'm excited that my kids are nice. I'm excited that they care about justice. I'm, I'm excited that they want to build good relationships and all that stuff. But there are, you know, all, like all the young people in my life, they're still trying stuff on and testing things out. And you go like, well, when do people lock in? And you go like, well, when they get married, they lock in to some degree. Mm. And they have kids, they really lock in. Right. And you go, well, what do you hope? And I go like, well, I hope that when my kids lock in, that they lock into something that resembles what they grew out of christianity no i it, goodness right, right goodness christianity is a but like the good. christianity is a very specific expression of a much deeper and broader worldview okay i i, I mean to me it is the, there there is the question what is the good and Christianity is one of the answers. Actually, what I would say is there is the question, where do we come from? What happens? What is the good? And Christianity is one way of saying there's meaning and you should pursue it and there's goodness and you should I, I pursue it. I would say Christianity, in, in my view, is not a way of saying there's meaning to me, Christianity looks like here's meaning. Yeah, I, you know, I, I don't even want to talk about Christianity. I'm tired of talking about okay, Christianity for the you, moment. Do, do you know what I mean? Like, I, and I'm like, I'm not like it's no, not the where, only reason I'm, I'm not in that headspace. Right. I guess. And I, I was only, I mean, I'm 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 normally not too excited wait, wait, to talk wait, about it anymore either. It's just just because I, I'm just, and, and this might be by the time this podcast come out, this might have changed. Again, I am an explorer intellectually. I, I don't really have much solid ground yet. Um, but I, I'm exploring the idea that like for, you know, since for a long time, I, I, I've thought you, you know, you don't need 
religion and, and that science kind of w w could guide us to a more enlightened morality. Now I'm playing with the idea of like, oh, religions aren't true, but maybe you totally need them because science doesn't answer any moral questions and you got to have lots of free time to think, oh, which man. most people don't yeah, but you're, yeah, in like, order to get to a place where you can have like a science religion thing going on. In some ways to say like you need them, like at this stage in our culture, like religions, morality emerges and then people invent religions to contain it and stories to, to wrap around it. And then like if they get far enough along, they develop science that they begin to see like, oh, those stories aren't really true. Um, but this is how it worked and mm -hmm. this is why we invented them in the first place. And so if somebody says to me, do you need religion? I go, well, it's just a developmental stage. Right. Or maybe, yeah, you need religion if you want to get this precise it. world we live in now. Yeah, right. But that, like there would have been a different world without religion. Right. Could it have gone another way? I right. don't know. Maybe. No, yeah. So I guess me saying you need religion goes back to some other weird religious thing I have going on of like, it was all meant to it be. It was always it supposed was, to be It this was way. always supposed to get here. I'm just and saying. you like, needed that to, yeah, you're right. This is just what happened. Right, 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 right. Yeah. No, that makes a lot more and sense. And maybe it was sort of, maybe it was bound to happen because like it seemed to happen in every culture all over the place. Right. Um, but I just go like, yeah, this is what happens. And, and so if somebody says to me, do you need religion? I go like, evidently not. Mm. Did you need religion to get to the place where you don't need religion anymore? And I go like, that's, that's what happened. It seems it's, that's, I mean, I haven't seen it work otherwise. Right. Right. I didn't see, I haven't seen any culture emerge without religion that got to the place where it could transcend religion. Right. So I go like, you know, so if, if you say to me, what do I want when you're a father? What do I want your kid to be? What do I want you to, your kid to be, you to be turning your kid onto? Or what's the stability that I want you to create for your kid? It isn't religious mm. in that sense, in, in, the super, in, in terms of Judeo-Christian narrative. But it is religious in the sense of that there is a sacredness to life and that there is a value in relationship and that there is a way of life and a way of approaching questions that prioritizes those things because those are our values mm. and you're like but why are they our values and you're like because we like them mm -hmm. and you're like i can give you a lot of science for why we like them because we like them but that's what we because we like loving relationships like when we see a bunch of people moving rhythmically together and singing we shall overcome right it inspires us mm. and you go like well that's just because and i go like i don't care why i'm just telling you I like it. And in a real sense, when you were growing up, a lot of what I was teaching you was just like, like this. You'd be like, why? Cause I do. Yeah. 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 And I, and that, that's what I feel like I can, I have access to. Like I like, um, and, and deconstructing you're... different ways of thinking, but ultimately I know that wherever I land, it won't be because I've constructed a rock solid, infallible philosophy. It'll it'll just be deciding what I like. Yes. And 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 to a large degree when you're a little kid, what you like is what your daddy likes or what your mommy likes. Right. And just... it wasn't Christianity, it was what you had liked from Christianity. Yeah. And and yeah, because it's the same now. You know, it's the reason why kids grow up liking the Cubs if their dad or their mom liked the Cubs. It's the reason <laughs> like you know, and you go like Wait, is that how it works with love? 
And they go like, yeah, I think that's how it works with everything. Mm. Um, yeah. Hey, well, listen, I don't know that there's any great truth that emerges out of a conversation like this, but it's nice to be able to talk with you. I like conversations like this. Right on. You are my son. Hey. All right, I'm out of here. See ya. All right, so that was my conversation with Roman, who I love, as you could probably tell. Um, I know I'm supposed to give you an Ingersoll quote on the other side of these podcasts, but I'm not going to do it this time. Instead, I have a special sneaky thing. And that is like the podcast is officially over. But after we were done that conversation, Roman, we went out and we were talking with everybody else. And Roman made some stupid statement about how he just didn't care at all. He, he was not interested in the whole Trump thing anymore. It was totally boring to him what was happening in the world. And I said, well, so we got in a, an argument. And so then I dragged him in the back and I said, look, let's talk again because I want to I record your lunacy here. And so we talked for another 15 minutes or so. And uh, here it comes. And if you're into it, you can listen to it. If not, don't worry about it. One way or the other, I'll catch you next time. All right. So, so it's Father's Day. And you come in here and you tell me that you don't even think about Donald Trump. No, ever. I don't care. No, it's, it's too silly. It's too, and it's too horrible and it's a waste like it feels like people used to there used to be like reality tv for people that just wanted to hear stories about like this person said that about that person and then there were the more sophisticated people who followed politics but now like politics is just this person said that about that person and the stakes are high of course but like i can't do anything and it's just now now really dumb people talk about politics all the time that's all it is is that it used to be I could talk about politics and it made me feel a little smarter. Not everybody can talk about politics. Now everybody talks about politics and they all sound stupid because the politicians sound stupid and it's just boring and stupid. I'm bored. I'm bored. I'm bored with the apocalypse. I'm just oh. shaking my head in civic <laughs> engagement horror. Um, just because like the idea of like, I'm bored. Okay, I get that. It's a difficult situation. It's it, uh, discouraged might be a better word, but um, but bored. I go like, okay, even if it's boring, I'm, I'm desensitized to big scary news. I, I can't feel it. I can't feel it. I go into this coffee shop every day, the Oaks, and it, I'm in line, and they got CNN hanging off of the ceiling, and it's always the end of everything being implied, like this leader is furious with us now and they have big weapons and our whole system has been hijacked by a hostile foreign power. And the guy in charge is an utter maniac. And like, and, and the people talking about it are, are just saying things that are so obviously inauthentic and like, and there's people right, jabbering right, right. about it. The narrative, like, and, it's, and, and interesting it's question, soap like, opera. So, so you recognize that there are horrible consequences to having this guy in power. Yes, and you recognize that he's in power precisely because a bunch of callow young people said they were bored with politics five years ago. Really? What about the masses of his enthusiastic followers screaming through their? 
I want to say toothless mouths, but I know I shouldn't say that. No, you but, shouldn't say that. No, I, I'm just saying, like, it feels like nature to me. And I know that's a horrible way to view it, because if you view human processes as nature, even though they are, you know they are. But if you think of them that way, then you're letting yourself off the hook. You're like, well, this is just going to naturally happen. You're nature too. You should be engaging in the process. I, I, I totally understand it. Okay, so you know you're wrong. I know that the, the world would be in a much worse condition if everyone was treating this like I am right now. Right. So that, so yeah, I, I wouldn't. So this is, so I, I this is just reality. This is, I just. No, no, no. But this is like, there, there's a famous, uh article or economics model years ago called the tragedy of the commons and the tragedy of the commons was is that if everybody grazed a certain number of animals on on this shared green mm -hmm. everybody's animals would thrive and everybody would be would make a certain amount of money but like if what what happens is is everybody goes like yeah we'll agree to that and then they're like they sneak a couple extra animals on there yeah and they're like if i'm the only one doing it I, it won't hurt everything. Everybody else will be okay. And I'll be a little richer. But then what happened was everybody tries to be that one person who goes like, if everybody did this, this would be bad. Right. Everybody tries to game the system. So it'll the system just be me. Breaks. Yeah. And so like you're, what you're saying is like, if everybody checked out, this would be horrible, but it's just me. Right. And I go like Donald Trump is a Checking consequence. Checking a privilege. John, Donald Trump is a consequence of a bunch of people saying i'm just gonna check out and worry about my career i'm just gonna check out and worry about my I, yeah art. i guess I'm i mean just i gonna voted check out. i vote i i engage in so far as i like you know it's right there in front of me like hey how, do you want to have a little impact over here um right but voting in california of course was meaningless right um, in that election. I mean, what you would have needed to do was to give money. You would, you needed to do was to call people in other States. What you would need to do was to try. Right. Well, okay. To be fair, the entire year that that guy was running for president, I was in the streets daily having conversations with people about climate change and raising money for Greenpeace. So it, it, as far as just actions go, and, and if we're just following me throughout my young adult life, I've done more than most young people. I, I, I'm by no I'm means... I'm not criticizing. You're the one saying, I'm bored. I don't right, care. Right, right. But, th this, uh, uh, but I, I'm, I'm speaking to a very uh, current sensation I'm having. Not, not sort of like, here's my new philosophy, don't care about politics. I'm observing a phenomenon, which is that I'm utterly desensitized to what used to look like apocalyptic news. The talking heads are, are look, they look like cartoons now. And I, I no longer associate conversations about politics with a higher level of sophistication than conversations about the real world or Taylor Swift. Like, it be, be, everything's been dumbed down. I'm, I'm just okay. I'm not okay. interested. So then you're then you're not defiant as much as you are observant, and 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 this is really troubling. It's really troubling because I think that when you describe that happening, um, when you describe the discourse getting so coarsened and so inane, and and the tweets and the nonsense that ha yeah, come out of the, the White House, that, that you just get to the place where it's I, one of the things that I've I, I, it's, it's shocking awe. You it's, end up feeling in order to maintain like a sense that I am becoming wiser, like 
I, I have to feel like I'm outside of this thing somehow. And I know I'm not, I know I'm in it and I'm as responsible for it as anyone else. But yeah, I mean, you've heard it's the, so embarrassing to feel like you're a part of. I know you feel you've heard the expression, you know, we get the government that we deserve and you yeah. go like, wow, I, I guess this is well, listen, what we deserve. I, I, I really strongly feel that if I lived in an earlier time period or, or just in a society that where it felt like uh, a revolution could happen and, and wouldn't d destroy the world. Like that maybe, yeah, there'd be bloodshed and there'd be horrors that happen, but like we had a shot to just totally change this system for the better. I, I'm, I'd probably feel really different. I'm, I'm a young guy and I, you know, that that's what young guys kind of do. But like our system cannot sustain a revolution. Every, it would crash the global economy. If, if there's anything you should learn from reading books like Sapiens, which I know you just are finishing up or, or things like, you know, is that every revolution... I, I just finished reading this book, uh, The Un Undoing, which is about Tversky and um, and Danny Kahneman and and hindsight bias and the way the way they figured out that people don't think rationally. Yeah. And one of the things is is that people come up with stories for things like World War One and World War Two and why they happened. And when you tell the story, you go like, oh. Like that, that was, was inevitable. That was inevitable. Right. But, but anybody it, that's really intimately familiar with that period in history says, oh, no, it came down to this one guy not showing up to his post. Like right. it's it's not inevitable. Right. And in the same sense, this wasn't inevitable. And, and, and it was the result of apathy that I'm displaying now. And what comes next isn't inevitable. And you say, like, if I was living in a land where there could be a revolution and I go like, you're always living in a land where there could be a revolution. No, I know there could be a revolution. I think it would crash the whole global economy. And it As would, it, it did the last time right, and the would, time before but that. But what we're worried about. We need a revolution or else everything's going to collapse. Well, we have a revolution and everything's going to collapse. Like, uh, that's, that's where I'm at, where it feels like the amount... Of, of change you'd have to enforce to really clean this sort of system would be just as much of an, a, a collapse event as just allowing it to run its maniacal course. Yeah, that's right. It, it will be painful if you get surgery and it will be painful if we let the cancer ravage your body. We're going to do the painful surgery because then at least there's a chance of something good coming out on the other side. Well, right, but I mean, surgery for the most part at this point, you know, are we going to do heart surgery or are we going to let the cancer spread? It's sort of like, well, here's how you do heart surgery. There's been hearts for a long time and we've been developing this ability to do surgery. This is such an insane world of, of communication and technology. No one knows how to rebel in this world. Like the internet, it's all just a cesspool of screaming voices that, that don't know how to Every talk. revolution that ever happened was using technology that hadn't been there 20 years before. That's how, like, that's what makes them happen is that somebody harnesses the new way of thinking. Somebody gets something else going. Like, I mean, you, you, you can't, what's the word? You can't abdicate responsibility because you go like, oh, but it's different this time. It's always different. That's the point. Right. Well, what I mean, okay, there's I'm, I'm just being transparent and honest here. I'm not I'm not at all championing myself as holding views. Right. I feel like you sort of came and laid this in front of me, like going like, please talk me out of this. Yeah, I, I guess. Or or just let's talk about this. I mean, I, I view it as a thing. I mean, maybe this is bad, too, but it feels more like a thing that's happening to me. 
the, than something I am orchestrating. No, it is something. But, uh, listen, it's it's gonna, something that's happening to everybody right now. That that dulling effect of, of Donald Trump and 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 the the Comey hearing and the, like this sense of like nothing really changes anything. And no matter how horrible Trump is, he wakes up the next morning and he's still the president. Well, and facts don't facts don't matter. Arguments don't matter. So, nothing matters. Uh, nothing matters. So like I. Really, so in one way, That's, me saying this doesn't matter anymore is me saying I want to go back. I'm just going to live in the world where things matter. I just in my world, facts matter. I like facts mattering. I in my world, I can I can change things with conversation or with uh, making my routine different or like. I, I, so it's not a rejection of of responsibility. It's almost like I want responsibility and I don't, I don't know how to take it in that, in that. Yeah. Realm. The problem is, is that you can't go up to Montana and create a little Shangri-La of reason because the, like the acid rain and the nuclear fallout and like it will all drift right over and kill you too. Like right. we live in a connected world. But do you feel like, Hey, maybe if we just act fast and effectively, there's some way that that we can avoid climate change doing all the damage no, it's going to do. No, okay, no. we're screwed. I, then. I, 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 right. My activism has nothing to do with a sunshiny belief that we can avoid this disaster. My activism is all about building lifeboats. It's all about teaching people how to swim in the new water. It's all about. It's all about that. Okay. Well, so, now, if, so if ultimately, my, my, no, wait, wait, wait. Yeah. wait. So my thing about Donald Trump is, is that he's moving up my timeline. I don't, he's, he's, he's taking years off the amount of time that we have to get ready for the flood. Right. And that's why I want to fight him. Not because I think he is not a representative of where it's all going, mm -hmm. but simply because he's too, too much too soon. Okay. I mean, so from your perspective, and not that this necessarily is, you know, how I'm living my life to a T. But if I were to say, listen, I don't watch the news. I don't, I don't, I don't want to hear about it. It's too depressing. However, I'm still, I'm working my ass off on this lifeboat. Right. In one way or another, like I, I'm cultivating close relationships with people. I'm even going so far as to like learn how to garden and grow my own food. I like, so I, I, I just, I've, I've accepted that a storm is coming. I don't need to watch the soap opera of its arrival. It, or how would you feel if that had been how I'd started this conversation? I would have said, welcome to my world. But you do keep up with the intricacies of the drama. I, I, I'm so much less day-to-day -day aware of what's going on in the drama now than I was during the Obama administration than I was during the right, Bush administration. Right. When Bush was in power, I paid so attention. Well, it's become a worse show, if we want to think of it as a TV well, show. And, it's, and, it's, and it's just overwhelming. It's a muddled, I, I can't yeah. keep up, and, and, and the outrages are daily. I can't stay angry all the time. Like, right. Bush would do something, I could be angry for a couple of weeks, and then he wouldn't do anything for so a month. So wait a minute, so what you're saying is, I've become desensitized to the outrage. I don't follow what's going on with Trump. I just think a disaster is coming, so I'm, I'm trying to build a lifeboat. And I am saying, I don't care what's going on with Trump. I'm desensitized to outrage. I am not building a lifeboat to the same degree that you are. I'm still much more engaged in sort of a capitalistic, self-indulgent Hollywood game time, but that's a fairly recent development in my life. I did work for Greenpeace before. I don't know what's coming next. 
but you're so you're not necessarily saying I I should be engaging with the I'm going to say when you when you hear the termites in the wall as they're getting louder and louder and louder yeah you need to be you need to be working harder and harder like you may not want to go and check on the termites every five seconds that's just depressing but you better be working on your tent or you better be working on your boat or you better be working on whatever it is. Right. That's so I don't have to be paying attention to all the words, but the general volume, I need, need to maintain to pay awareness attention to the general volume. And we all need to pay attention to the general volume because I'm telling you that this, like, I'm just going to like live my little life. Right. Is if, if you're just living, paying, living your little life mm-hmm. and you're not worried, you're, you're not, you're not attending to doing something, even if it's just like, I'm running a really great daycare so that parents can work on climate change stuff or that parents can, you know, or I'm, I, I'm plumbing in a way that makes it possible for people to raise families of kids that have high values and, and that care about things. I, I don't, I'm not suggesting that everybody needs to be like a hundred percent all day long thinking about futurism. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying that like, yeah, the vo- you, you need to pay attention to the volume and you need to make sure that your life is about doing things that help human beings learn how to love each other and learn how to do stuff that's meaningful and care about each other and, you know, figure out how to make sense of life in a world where it's much harder than it is right now because it's going to be much harder than it is right now. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, like if you're going to make music, you better make music while paying attention, while keeping one ear tuned to to the hammering on the other side of the wall and making sure that your music is going to be useful or helpful or something that somehow your life needs to be related to the fact that the system upon which everything depends right now yeah. is on the verge of collapse. Yeah, yeah. So you no, don't have, I, you don't have to watch back again. You do not have to watch the erosion and pay attention to every right. That might all that might just end up distracting you. It from might your distract life you from doing what you really need to do. Right, right. All right, listen. Um, yeah. Thanks for bringing this. Happy Father's Day. Love you. Love you too. For more information about the work of Bart Campolo, please visit barcampolo.org.